0: I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. Steve, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. How are you doing today? Chris, I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me as your guest. Yeah, well, it's nice getting to know you here just a few minutes before we hit record. So why don't we jump into it? Um, Let's start off with a little bit about how you got into the sales profession.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, like many of your listeners, you know, I came right out of college with a business degree and knowing that I wanted to get into sales. But I really didn't know what that really meant. And, uh, but I was offered an opportunity after interviewing with a lot of different companies uh, to go work for 3M Corporation. It was Harris 3M. It was their copier division. So it was true hardcore sales where it was a $1,000 draw for the first three months I had to buy a van on me, not a company vehicle, back in 1987. Give you an idea how old I am, and uh, I had to haul copiers around in a van. And after three months, it was sink or swim. It was straight commission, and uh, that was my first entree into sales. And uh, it was a it was a great baptism by fire. But uh, I stayed there for ten years. Wow. And uh, yeah, so it was it was a great career, great way to learn how to sell. It was primarily a cold calling job. Uh, out in the streets and you know, with a suit and tie, hauling around a hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty pound copiers in the back of a van on a gurney, wheeling it into all these different office buildings and you know doing my doing my thing. But that's how I got into sales. and um, you know, from uh pounding the streets and uh, doing well there uh, out of six hundred sales representatives, I made it to the top five a few times, and then I got promoted to sales management. And then sales manager, then a district manager, and then a regional vice president of outsourcing uh, throughout the 10 years. And then I made a shift. And I became such a student of the game of how do you perform? How do you get better? That I was hired away and I had the opportunity to go work for a gentleman in the sales enablement space. And that gentleman's name is Neil Rackham. Uh, There's a book called Spin Selling. Some of your listeners might be familiar with if they're old enough. But it was some research done by Neil Rackham in in Xerox Corporation back in the 80s. And uh, out came a sales methodology called spin selling in several books that Neil had written. And Neil hired me out of the corporate seat of a billion-dollar company to go work for his $4 million company at the time. And uh, that was my first entree in the mid-1990s on how to get into um, the sales performance consulting space and uh, worked with Neil for a few years. And he sold the business and uh, provided me kind of a financial opportunity if I wanted to go off on my own or stick with the new owners. And I decided to start my own business. And Neil helped me create my first business plan. And um, the rest is history.
0: So, and you've been training ever since. Well, I have ever since 2001 on my own. So that jump from you know, the 100% commission role, the hustle of the, the day-to-day grind of selling to, to enablement and to training. I mean, that's, that's a big change. It is,
1: but maybe not as big of a change as some may think, because we 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 do have to always look back on. Uh, there was a saying that we learned at Lanier. Now, Lanier was the company that what it became after a couple of acquisitions, and the saying was, "The old is forever new." Now, if you think about that just for a moment, when you're in sales, the fundamental things that got you there are the same fundamental things that are to get you there, keep you there, and so you know, I think as long as I knew that when I made that shift from being an individual contributor to a sales leader to helping other people succeed, you have to kind of go back to those fundamentals of what is it that really helps drive success? What is it that helps you sustain success over a long period of time? It's about doing the right things on a consistent basis. And that just requires discipline and accountability for yourself as well as for your team if you're a sales leader.
0: Yeah, that's one of the beauties about this profession is, and I do this all the time, uh, I think sometimes we have a tendency to overthink things to make it more complicated than it has to. Sometimes if you can get the good stuff and the basic stuff down and then consistently do that every single time, you know, you, the foundation that you set for success is, you know, you're 80% of the way there. Then it's, you know, the tweaking and and, and there, are, there are some advanced things that eventually have to kick in at that point. But um, some of the best reps I know, you know, you would not know that they're high-performing, number one sales rep for the company when you look at them and talk to them. But it's the things they do on a day-in, day-out basis that blows everybody else away. I think
1: sales is a discipline. I think those individuals, some of the best that you know, are, are not what most people would describe as a successful sales rep. If I was to ask you, what are three or four adjectives that describe a successful sales representative? discipline is probably not going to be one of those words it's going to be other 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 adjectives around their personality that are going to be that are going to be kind of described but i think people that are disciplined are those folks that can have success in a sustainable manner
0: yeah well you know you mentioned the 100% commission role and i always admire people that are on a 100% commission plan because the discipline they have and how they work I noticed a difference versus the rep that's on like a 50-50 plan, right? 50% base, 50% commission. There's a little bit of security there. Sure. You have, if you're a 100% commission plan, nobody's hassling you. Nobody's inspecting your pipeline to say, you got to get up this morning and go pound the streets. It's you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that, Chris. I think that those individuals that are predominantly driven by commission or their comp plan is primarily driven through commission, you, you do see a different level of commitment to the job. And um, I think that uh, most sales organizations that I work with today, that variable comp is often um, slanted more towards a base. Those days of straight commission have kind of gone away to a kindler and gentler world that we're living in today. And I think that um, the differences between those individuals that are riding on their base and those to whom are living on their commissions are those individuals to whom are exceeding their quotas on a regular basis because they want that commission dollar? Yeah, you know they're not simply saying, "Hey, I've got the sixty thousand or eighty thousand dollar base, and I've got a twenty percent commission on top of it." But those those are the folks making four hundred thousand dollars a year because they're taking. What is it going to take? How much? How much revenue do I have to generate in order to you know have a compensation plan of three hundred fifty thousand dollars if I'm making a twenty percent commission on it?
0: Yeah, you know, so they've done epic- the math on it. A little bit uh you know kind of on a tangent here but um you know i i've also found that like those overly complex commission plans are in a way a little bit of a dissentive because you can't quite figure out how to pull all the knobs and so you know versus uh you know it's one of the best plans that i've ever had i've had this a couple times in my career is it is one number a few pages on the comp plan you can calculate your percentage. You sell this, you get this. There's no hurdles and thresholds, and it's super simple. And b- by the way, it's motivating, right? I know. I go out and sell 100 grand. This is how much I make. Yep. Yeah. Well, so, Steve, you uh, let's jump in. So, you have a book called Ignite Your Sales Strategy, A Field Guide to Accelerating Your Pipeline. I love this topic because, as sales professionals, we spend so much time talking about building pipeline getting to 3x or 4x of quota. And then, you know, you have all this pipeline and sometimes, you know, you end up losing more than you win. Um, So I'm really curious just to hear some of your thoughts on how how do we accelerate that pipeline and maybe speed it up or increase our closing rates on that pipeline? You know,
1: it's not just one lever. And that's kind of a good thing is that we as sales professionals, we have several different levers to which we can drive based upon the opportunities that we're working on. And um, you know, I think three of the levers that are probably most critical to accelerating the pipeline uh, is all about being proactive in certain areas. Number one is being proactive around understanding the business metrics of your customer. Is that if we understand what makes our customer more successful, and we can help them achieve that success, we're we're never going to have to worry about closing another sale because the profits and revenues of your territory are merely an economic outcome of doing what's right for your customer, so if you can help your customer succeed. But too often, sales representatives underestimate the importance of understanding those critical business metrics. If you ask any sales representative for an opportunity that may be in the middle stage of a a sales pipeline, what are the critical business metrics this customer is trying to improve the next 12 months, and what challenges do they foresee in achieving that number? If you don't know that, it's kind of hard to help them, isn't it? Uh-huh. So that's kind of one of the areas that I think sales representatives can 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 push when, in fact, they're trying to ensure that opportunities don't get stuck. And that is understand the quantitative business metrics your customers are trying to achieve and align your capabilities to that. I think the second thing is sales representatives have a tendency to only meet with those people that are willing to meet with them. And so it really becomes a... Um, a, a profit, you know, kind of a, what's the, what's the saying, Um, the ability to kind of look in the future and know that nothing's going to happen. Um, but what, if you only are meeting with those individuals that are willing to meet with you and those individuals are not always the individuals that are making the buying decision, that opportunity is going to stall or it's going to get lost to the competition. We love asking questions in these win loss analyses that we do. That is who's your competition speaking to that you're not. Sales representatives often say, I, I don't know. Well, that's the problem, okay, is we need to know who are the key influencers involved. One of your earlier podcasts, uh, I think it was in April, um, you were talking about the challenge of moving beyond those individuals that you know because you don't want to offend or to hurt the relationship that you have. So, how do you get around that? And I thought you had some really good advice there. And that is, I think, one of the questions that kind of came up in that is asking the question, other than yourself. Who else is involved in this decision-making process? It gives that person credibility because they're involved. Everybody knows in today's buying, complex buying market, it's rarely one person making the buying decision. So let's pay credit where credit's due and say, other than yourself, who else is involved in this decision? And then let's start asking some business questions, like maybe around those critical business metrics that the business is trying to improve or the department's trying to improve. And if the individual that you have a relationship with doesn't know the answer to that, ask, hey, can we get a meeting with that particular individual? Because I think it'd be really helpful to you and I if we had a common understanding of what the potential barriers the company is going to run into achieving the outcomes that they're looking for. And it kind of just, you earn the right to move beyond those individuals. But that's the second lever. It's not just knowing who the key influencers are, but proactively managing those folks so that you can know who to direct and who to create value with. I think that third, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, go ahead. I'd like to hear the third one.
1: The third one is really all around understanding the customer's decision criteria. I think sales representatives in general, when you ask them, why did you lose your sale? You know, 72% of the people that we ask give us the answer we lost because of price, or the competitor had a lower cost or whatever, or the, there wasn't enough budget. It's something around the dollar was too high. But when you sit back and you ask the second question, other than price or other than budget, what was the criteria this customer was using to compare you against the competition? They often don't know. And so that leaves them vulnerable. Customers not making their decision based upon one criteria. Think of anything that we ever bought in our lives. Yes, price is always going to be a factor, whether it be a house, whether it be a car, whether it be a new pair of shoes. Price is always going to be a factor. There's other criteria. Maybe it's the school districts, if you're looking at a new home. Maybe it's the how many bedrooms do you have? How much acreage is there? There's other criteria other than price. And if you don't know what that other criteria is that your customer is using to compare you against the the competitor or for them just to make a decision, the opportunity is likely going to stall or you're going to lose it to the competition.
0: Yeah. Wow, Steve, there's so much there that I could follow up on Before we jump into the topic, I wanted to let you know that we just launched a monthly drawing for one of our insulated high tech freedom tumblers. Now, I've been sending these out as a thank you gift to each of our guests, and the response has been great. You know, everyone has a full size coffee cup, a Yeti, or whatever brand that they might use, but not everybody has the small tumbler that you can put your wine or beverage of choice in. And they're great for the deck, beach, camping, or just, you know, just keeping your drink warm or cold. Now, I'm not selling these, but I am excited about them. So we decided to offer these up to the loyal podcast listeners by doing a monthly drawing. So if you're interested, go to hightechfreedom.com forward slash mug, that's M-U-G, and you'll see a picture of the Tumblr and you can enter. We'll just collect your name, phone number, and email. And if you do win, we'll then follow up and ask for your mailing address so we know where to send it. If you don't win, your name stays in so you don't need to re-enter. Let's just start with number three. So on that on that customer decision criteria, uh, I mean, it makes sense. Right? We all know that at some point we need to know that. But when you really dig into it, one of the things you might also find out is they don't really have a great defined criteria because they're not professional procurement. They're professional do your job. And so they're doing their best. They're coming up with a criteria for that project. And so if you can dig in and understand that, hey, maybe it's not totally perfect or there's some gray area, it creates an opportunity to to, say, well, here's some information that we've had from some of our other projects. Here's some things that our other clients have found. They may or may not take it. But heck, if you can influence some of that criteria, what does that do? Maybe puts it up up a little bit of a barrier for your, your competition. You know, just don't sit back and take it.
1: Correct. I love what you just said there about influencing that criteria. You know, if you think about some of the things that you sold in the past or the things that you're selling today, and you ask, what are those unique things that only I can do or that I do better than the competition? If those unique things that only you can do are not added into that customer's decision criteria, why not? We're the only one that does it. We're the only one that does it better than anybody else, and everybody's willing to acknowledge it. Why wouldn't that be part of the decision criteria?
0: Yeah, I worked with a rep one time. He was really great at asking, hey, I noticed you're not asking for this. Why is that? All right, well, now the customer's a little bit undefensible. What do you mean? You know, and so it's because it's obviously something that they're probably better at, but it sort of opened up a discussion. And, you know, do they always take that into their criteria? No, but does it influence it sometimes? Absolutely. You know, I also liked your point about, you know, the those people that you're meeting with, the people that are willing to meet with you. I, I've always called those the friendlies. You know, they're easy to meet with. We like hanging out with them. It, it gets some metric done for the boss if you have to have so many meetings per week. But oftentimes, going back to your number one, they don't know the business metrics. And so if you're relying on them for the business metrics, you may be getting the wrong metrics. Well, validation is key,
1: isn't it? I mean, I don't care if you're talking about decision criteria, business metrics, or who's involved. If you're not validating that with somebody else, all the information that you're getting with somebody else inside the organization, yes, to your point there, Chris, you very well could be trying to solve a problem that doesn't even exist with inside the business. Yeah. Because you're getting, you got the wrong information.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I love the idea of valid, you know, cause that's, I mean, this is what the sales pros do, right? They get something, they're constantly cross-checking that information with other contacts and maybe restating what they've heard. And, you know, Beyond just revalidating that information, as a sales pro, you're also raising up your level of credibility. When you're restating what you've heard, restating what you understand, revalidating that, it shows a base level of of research and understanding of their business. And sometimes, you know, again, customers aren't always totally in tune with some of these details. And you're actually kind of, you know, reminding them and helping them sort of connect some of those dots because they're just focused on their fiefdom. They're so busy, so overworked um sometimes you're you know that's some of the value that you bring as a professional rep
1: well i love what you just said there i think that we when we define who the customer is the customer's not just the person that we're talking to the customer are the people inside that organization that can benefit from what you have to offer so yeah i mean we need to go our job is to go help those help those people i was at uh, at a uh, conference a uh, national sales conference in europe a couple of months ago and the vice president of sales i'm sorry marketing was in the back of the room and without giving you the product, I simply said, stop selling that product. Sales reps looking at me, vice president of marketing is looking at me, and I said, listen to what I just said stop selling this product. Start selling the value of what that product means to the influences that you must engage. Because if your product can't solve a clinical or a business issue, this is, it was in a healthcare client can't solve a clinical or a business issue for that department, for that individual, they have no need to talk to you. So stop pushing the product. Stop talking about the product. Start start talking about how your capabilities can help them achieve the outcomes they're looking for. And you'll have greater success.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's all about outcomes. So I want to go back to the business metrics for a minute, because uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of play devil's advocate. Um, so What if I feel that my product doesn't directly impact those business metrics? You know, how do I, you know, how do I kind of navigate getting that information and then turning it around into, you know, a sales strategy, messaging, or positioning?
1: So, two things. Number one, if so often we find that bad business goes into the pipeline, okay? So, we're chasing things that really we shouldn't be chasing. So, you really do have to validate, can you help this customer? If you know what the business metrics are, and you don't have a solution that can help move the move the needle around those business metrics, they're probably not a prospect for you. Don't try to turn a prospect to take a suspect and turn them into a prospect just because you need to have you need to fill your pipeline. You can fill your pipeline with a lot of bad business. However, to your point, what if in fact you hear from the customer that these are the business metrics they're trying to improve, trying to drive, and you don't quite see the connection to them? What can you do? And I'm going to turn the question back around to you. If, in fact, you're talking to one individual and they tell you that these are the business metrics and you're saying, wow, I don't quite see the connection. What what do you think a sales representative should do?
0: Well, I would maybe turn it back around. I'd go meet with some other people. There you go. And explore.
1: Clearly, one thing you can do, right, is to go validate the the sole opinion that our business metrics are A, B, and C. Because maybe you can go talk to somebody else. It's not A, B, and C. It's B, F, and G. You know? Oh wow. Okay, that's a that's that's really different. So now I need to go change those things. So we need to kind of validate what those business metrics are. And so, but I think the bigger concern is what I started with. We sit back and we look at we're, we're scrubbing pipelines, and we go back and we ask. Let's take a look at the opportunities that are in stage two maybe a six-stage pipeline process. and You ask the sales representatives, "What are the business metrics for these for these particular clients?" And you start asking, they start giving them to you. Say, "Who did you validate this with? How do you know?" And they really don't know. There's a likelihood that this is some bad business sitting in your pipeline today that shouldn't be there.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's you, you just can't take it from one person because there may be a way to loosely tie what you do to the business metrics through somebody else's personal pain that they have around those business metrics. So there, there's linkage in, in all. Most opportunities. Great point. Well, Steve. um, So, in your book, anything else you want to highlight that uh, readers might want to check out from the book?
1: Well, I think there's there's another element in the book that um, uh, that we talk about, which is this whole notion of urgency. In other words, why now? You know, what do you need to do to get a customer to take action now? And too often, one of the traps that sales representatives fall into is the fact that they they spoke to one individual. And this one individual is a squeaky wheel, but the squeaky wheel is not going to get the grease right now. Okay. So we continue to invest time with the squeaky wheel and we wonder why this customer is not, not moving. And the reason being is because there's no urgency from anybody else involved in this decision-making process. You've got one person. And so now you have an opportunity to try to expand that problem, try to make everybody else see the impact it has if it's resolved or not resolved, the implications if it's not resolved. But if you can't do that, you know. This is, it's, it's difficult to create urgency when you only have one person. So it's important for us to make sure that we understand how big is the issue that we're trying to address? Because if we can make this issue larger, we can talk about the implications it's going to have on the business. If they don't change from what they're currently doing today, all of a sudden we can create urgency to get them to take action by linking it back to the business metrics that they're trying to achieve. But we need again to validate what, is the, what are the drivers? Oh, Mary wants this right now because her life is disruptive. Well, I'd love to help Mary, but this is a quarter of a million dollar investment that the company needs to make a decision. And Mary's issue is just not a big enough issue for the company to make the decision. So we need to go ahead and kind of explore that and expand that a little bit better. But I think the bottom line comes down to this. We as sales professionals need to challenge our own assumptions. We make too many assumptions. And the more experienced the salesperson is, the more assumptions they make. They've been there, done that. I've seen this before. I've walked into this client before. I I worked with a client last week that had the same issue as this one here. I know what they need to do. I'm going to go tell them what they need to go do. No. Stop. Go back to those fundamentals. The old is forever new. Remember, we talked about that. Let's go back to those fundamentals. Let's challenge what we're currently doing. Let's challenge our own critical thinking. That individual that you're talking to may not necessarily be the only person involved. I know they were involved in the last time you you worked with this client. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have the same level of influence in this decision. So we have to challenge our critical thinking, challenge the assumptions that we're making. That's really what the book is all about.
0: Challenges the assumptions in in really kind of four areas. Reminds me a little bit. I had this one VP one time and he had this knack of keeping things simple and if you were in a QBR, quarterly business review, and you're up there talking about a deal, maybe some drivers, maybe even the business metrics or whatever, he would say, Chris, is that what you think or is that what they said? Is it, uh, you know, you're doing a little bit of dancing. Well, you know, we we've heard that. No, no. Is that, is that what they said? And he just had a great way of boiling it back down to, I think, a big point you're making is you need to go just ask the questions. Don't Don't create this whole narrative in your own head based on a bunch of assumptions that you haven't validated. You could be totally wrong. You don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the back of each chapter of our book, we put down there, you know, uh, challenge questions or validation questions. And there's five, six questions at the end of each chapter that simply says, do you know this? And we, we, we can position it by simply saying, think of an opportunity you have in your pipeline that's in the middle stage, whatever, whatever no matter how many stages you have, and see if you can answer these questions. If not you might be at risk of losing this opportunity or having it stall.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, we we talk a lot about a sales process here on the High Tech Freedom Sales Podcast. And, you know, that can be as simple as a checklist, right? Because when you get so deep into a deal, sometimes the challenge is being able to step back or rise above the deal and, and self-assess and kind of self-coach yourself on a deal. But I've always loved that. I used to, I had the uh, the old target account selling process. And I remember... Sitting in the library back in the day when I'd go to the library, maybe to do research or something, but, you know, I'd pull it out, I'd go through the spreadsheet and I'd start asking myself all these questions like, oh, huh, I can't answer that. Huh, I don't know. And I've always said, that's a good thing because now you've created action items to go forth and uh, do. And we take
1: that one step further because knowing those fundamental things that you don't know is step one. Step two is, who would you validate it with? Right. Step three is, what do you do about it, right? So the, I think there's additional steps. Too often, you now, I worked for a, um, a distributor for sales training for a number of years, and they had a particular product, we'll keep the company name out of it, where people had to fill out this form. And I was watching managers, pat sales representatives on the back and say, hey, good job, you found this stuff out. Hey, I got another question for you. And they'd go on to another topic. I'd call time out for a second. You said that you just found out who those key influencers are. Your sales representative gave you who they were. They even told you who loved them and who didn't. Nice job. But what else do we need to know? What else do we really need to find out as a sales leader here? And the sales manager would go, I mean, I guess I need to know what are they doing about those people that don't support them? There you go. Let's go explore that one. What else can we do? Here's the list of names. What else can we do? Manager would go, well, I guess I can kind of find out how do they know this is right? There you go. That's another good thing you can go explore. So I think it's important for us to make sure that if we're a sales leader and listening to this podcast, that we are coming up with those questions that challenge the thinking. We're a sales rep, individual contributor. We need to make sure that we're thinking about these things ahead of time. Getting the information isn't sometimes just enough.
0: Absolutely. Well, Steve, you've been very generous with your time today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I, just a plug for you. So I was poking around your website and you have uh, some uh videos and some webinars there that people can access for free and there's some great there's some great content so definitely go check out your website what is the website yeah it's ignite selling ignite and we'll put a link to the uh to the book in the uh in the show notes so steve i'll have your linkedin connection there is there any other way people should reach out to you if they want to get hold of you
1: well yeah they, I, they can the best way is probably go to sales at igniteselling.com. and if they reference this podcast okay this High Tech Freedom podcast uh, in, in, the, in the email, I'll go ahead and i send them a copy of our book at no charge. Oh, very generous. Thank you. Just sales at igniteselling.com. Send the email in. And we'll make sure we get you a book.
0: Oh, very much appreciate it. We'll see you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.